0: The views and opinions on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of ESPN Tucson 1490 and 104.9 FM or the Arizona Lotus Corporation. Got car trouble? Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. Gas drinking, piston clanking, air polluting, smoke belching four wheeled buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your songs, huh? All right, welcome back to the second hour of the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host, along with me, my co-host, Jim Mooney, from Frontier Towing, for all of your towing needs. And we're talking a little bit of safety. In fact, we talked for an hour on stuff that wasn't designed to go an hour, but we, the more we talk, the more we realize that, uh, yeah, it's time for a checkup from a neck up. I mean, even me. I learn something from every one of these shows, and you know, and I'm the guy that normally produces what we talk about on the show, but every now and then we get scattered off the list a little bit, and we find something more interesting to talk about, so that's the way we do the show. If you'd like to join us down here five twenty seven one nine fourteen ninety We'll take any scary stories you've had about brake failures coming down a mountain, blowing engines up, going up a mountain um uh, Anything, you know, just, you know, it's open line. You know, we can talk about a, uh engine failure one minute, then we're talking about, hey, keep your head out of your rear end while you're driving the next two hours. You know, we, we're very versatile down here. <laughs> this portion of the show is brought to you by Merle's Automotive. Merle'sautomotive.com. They're more than just a parts house or counter service. In addition to uh, excellent service, they offer hoses, machine shop services. They got a machine shop over on West 15 West Ajo at 520 807 4010. That they do machining for rotors, uh, drums, flywheels. That's for your weekend warriors. So you can call Merrill's over there and, and get that. But Merle's on the main hub down here at uh, South Dodge Avenue, just uh, south of Frontier Towing. They they got tools, they've got equipment, they got ten locations in Tucson. Uh, they got them scattered out all over the state. They got them in Globe, Casa Grande, Green Valley, Sierra Vista, Maricry. And they deal in foreign, domestic, and 18-wheeler parts. They've got a lot of 18-wheeler parts. So if you're working on an uh, 18-wheeler, you can go in and get, uh, get your service, your parts there. They've got a lot of white box parts, which is OE, original equipment. They're just in a white box. And they just I – I use them. Parker Automotive uses them. Brian uses them at uh, uh, Automotive Specialist. Very – pleased with their delivery service the fact that they can help you find a part if you don't quite know exactly what you're looking for and you can read if you can grunt it out in front of one of their counter people they can probably show you a picture of the area you're looking at and then it gets to be that old point and grunt here yeah this right here that's what i want this little module right here that's what i need so Merrill's Automotive, they're the real deal. Merrill'sAuto.com is right here in Tucson, Arizona. Lens Auto Brokerage. Lens. I think you've run out of time for the $360 discount because today's the last day of the month unless you go buy one. And I think they are open today. They're just not open Sunday. And I think they're open Monday, though. Um com. go on their website, look, see what vehicle they have. They have a load of vehicles down there. They have a lot of Jeeps. They have a lot of little cars. They gas savers. They have pickups. They have diesels. And you can check and see what they've got. If it's something you like, you go in, kick a tire, test drive it, and if you buy it, ask them about their warranty on these things. When I bought my Odyssey down from Lens, I, I asked for the warranty. I remember to ask, did my nephew down there, Dana, tell me, oh, you need to consider a warranty? No, he didn't. He just said, you need to buy this Odyssey because it's a good vehicle. It's got all the service records showing it been taken care of, and I think you'll be happy with it. And he was absolutely correct. And I I asked him about the warranty because I know what the cost of an engine, and it's a mechanical piece. Just because my little CRV run 195,000 miles don't mean that this Odyssey will but that's what happens when you take care of them. You have a better chance. If you're buying a used vehicle and you're going to spend a, a few thousand dollars on it like 20-30, ask them about the warranty and they have about six different selections on that warranty. I tried to read read it all so that I could bring it to you and let you know what the coverage can be on these warranties. They've got everything. The one that I got, I wanted the big stuff protected. I wanted the transmission protected, I wanted the engine protected, and I wanted the dual air conditioning protected, because a failure of any one of those will more than take care of what money you paid for warranty. I mean, you just, your are money ahead. All I did, and all warranty is is a prepaid maintenance program. That's all they are. When you buy a new car, you used to be I don't know what the number is now, but it used to be $0.23 on the dollar, that new car, was warranty work. And I've had people bring them in from the uh, manufacturer, said, I want this thing fixed. I said, you've already paid for the repair on this. You need to take it back to the dealer. And the guy said, no, I want it fixed right here. And I said, you're going to pay for stuff that you already paid for. Yep. I don't want to go back, and I'm going, okay, but, you know, try not to let your temper do the talking when you've paid all this kind of money for the warranty on it. If it's got warranty on it, especially recalls, if it's got a recall on it, you take it in because they've got some more information, and they've got upgraded parts, and they've got upgraded everything so that they can get this vehicle fixed. It won't cost you anything because that's a safety issue is a recall. Is a safety issue. Take it back and get that work done. But if you're buying a pre-owned vehicle, you get a chance to check it out. Uh, You check it out, or you better be almost stealing that vehicle because you're buying a pig and a poke. In other words, you don't know what you've got. So just get a second opinion on it because you like the vehicle because the paint is beautiful. The interior is beautiful. You take it into your favorite garage and you say, "I need a pre-purchase inspection done." If you get ready to, and you're really disgusted with your vehicle, you say, "Oh, this thing is nickling, nickel, and diming me to death." To death. I'm going to get rid of it. Hey, I got rid of a '79 a GMC truck four before because a modulator went out, an uh, electronic modulator or electronic. Uh, ah. Yeah, module in the distributor. Cost $47 to fix it. I was so mad at that truck because I'd had it for a year. I bought it and I thought I'm a genius so I could just look at it. And I bought it at an auction. And I said, oh, this thing is just perfect. Well, you know, that's when I learned that you use a mirror and a flashlight. Stick it up under the dash and see what kind of water debris you have under it because that thing is going to eat you up. It's not nickel and dime. It's tens, twenties, and $100 bills every time you move. And at the end of the year, after I'd already spent about $4,000 repairing this truck, it lost a module in the middle of Broadway and Swan. In the middle of the intersection when I was trying to make a left turn, I, I, you talking about having people push you out of the road. I mean, that truck, it was so heavy, one person couldn't even move it. Pushed it out of the road, called a tow service, got that thing picked up, brought it into the shop. I never put my butt in that seat again, and actually one of my customers bought it. He drove that son of a gun for three years, and nothing else ever happened to it. But I understand if you're mad at it and that's it, that is your perfect right to get rid of that thing and get you something else to aggravate you instead of that one. You're bored with that and aggravated you to death. You might as well get something else and take your chances. A lot of people will do that. Used to, the the break point on a vehicle was $2,600. If you pull it into Simmons or Automotive Specialists or Parker Automotive and you have him do an inspection on this vehicle, you said, okay, I am tired of this. I'm going to go trade it in. You need to know what it would actually cost to bring yours back up. And my question to the customer is, do you like this vehicle? Well, yeah, it's all right. It's just nickel and diamond me to death. Okay. Is the transmission solid? Is the engine solid? Is the differential solid? The only way you're going to know that is to have a shop check it out and tell you that we've got all the computers, all the stuff that goes on these things that'll pretty much give us an insight on what's going on with your electronics, your charging system, everything. If you've been maintaining that vehicle the way you're supposed to, not the way we actually do it sometimes, but the way that you're supposed to and it's recommended, that vehicle should be pretty solid. So, yeah, and then you find out, oh, I only need to spend about $500 on this thing, and I'm ready to go to New York and back. All right, $500 on that one. You still like the color. The, The interior is good. The size of the vehicle for your family is good. Do I really want to go out and try to buy another pre-owned vehicle when I've got a pre-owned vehicle and a complete history of the repairs that's already been done on it? So this is a thought process that you need to do. I see people right now that are going out and they're buying electric cars because they're mad. I don't want to – I'm not getting the gas mileage I'm supposed to get. Okay, now I've got a little stat for you on electric cars. The cheapest electric car on the planet right now is a Chevy Bolt EU, EUV. And it's, it says it's $26,600. It's the cheapest on the market. Okay? So you got 20, 20, 2660 And you can get the stripped-down version, which is 2560 Same article. Don't ask me why. And it said, uh, I picked up a number on there. And it said you get 259 miles on the charge. Okay? Yeah, you probably can, as long as it's not cold weather, as long as you're not overloading it, as long as you drive it empty with nothing in it but your butt. And you can expect that. I would expect to get about 150 miles on it. And if you're driving it in Tucson, you're good to go. You're good to go. But... I uh, used one. I, I was I got a little nosy while I was doing the research, and I said, "Okay, Chevy Volt." And the price range on the Chevy Volt, the it was supposed to be twenty two to twenty three. That's what they said there's going to be when they come back from Mexico. Lie, just a lie. But with the government putting seventy five hundred on it, that's not your money anyway. That's a seventy five hundred dollar tax credit that you get. You can take off your income taxes. I mean, here we go, boy. Tax dollars. I'm paying you to buy your car, like me and Jim discussed before. I was paying Jim to buy his electric vehicle. A uh, used 2012 is $14,998, okay? what What is the battery life on it? What am I going to have to go through on this Volt only used at $14,998? Uh, yeah, it's 10 years old. They are cheaper than that on some of these lots, Okay. Um the China has just come up with a new battery system and hang on and I'll pull it up right now. And where are we at here? Come on, baby. Talk to me. I got it on my little smartphone. My brother sent it to me. When I'm always talking. Neo NIO rolls out five hundred KW charger automated battery swap stations. This is in China right now. It's coming to the U.S. in 23. As it continues to roll out new electric vehicles, Neo is also making it easier for its customers to integrate charging into their busy lifestyle. I told you it was going to come. I didn't know when it was, but I told you it was going to come. At the com- at the company's recent NEO Day event held in China, NEO presented new charging infrastructure alongside the new EC7 and redesigned E58 SUVs. All right, that's in China. NEO, which is often billed as China's Tesla, unveiled a new 500 kilowatt, 650 amp fast charger capable of charging a 100-kilowatt-hour battery from 10% to 80% in only 12 minutes. With the battery, when the battery has an 800-volt system for 400-volt batteries, the same charge will take 20 minutes. NEO says the highest charging speed available in the U.S. is a 350-kilowatt fast charger. So they have really stepped that up. NEO's new charger will rely on the company's own liquid cooling technology to enable the use of a lighter, simpler cable. Will be open for public use starting in March of two thousand and twenty three. NEO currently has two thousand two hundred and thirty nine charging stations in China. So they they, they're doing it right. They're they're building infrastructure all of which are open to vehicles for other brands, okay? But you got to make sure that your system will take it. During its NEO date event, the company also unveiled its third-generation battery swap station designed to provide more than 400 swaps per day. The latest version enables a vehicle autonomously exit a highway. Drive up to the station and have the battery swap performed, which takes seconds, and then up to the highway on ramps to continue the journey. For the autonomous control of approaching vehicles, the station is equipped with two layers sensor and two some kind of Niva Origin chips, as well as the ability to communicate and guide the vehicle. Neo currently has 1,286 battery swaps stations in China, infrastructure. And a few in places like Norway, and it plans to roll out the new third-generation station, also starting in March 2023. The company's customers have the choice of whether they want to buy a battery outright or the company is... That's where it actually stopped. The company in October marked the start of exports to a handful of European countries, and on December the 12th, celebrated the assembly of its 300,000th vehicle, an ET5 hatchback. NEO also said it plans to be present in more than 25 countries by 2025 though it hasn't said whether the U.S. will be one of them. With the reveal of the EC7, neo new lineups now consist of seven vehicles. So that's what's going on. That's a new technology. So it is coming, and it'll be in the U.S. because, I mean, after all, aren't they one of our favorite countries to deal with? So, but that's on that. The Volts, I did look up to see what kind of... uh, recalls and stuff on the volts it's normal normal the pre the earlier volt thats that is a hybrid now if you get a hybrid in a volt, it does have that little backup engine and a single battery so uh that might not be a bad plan, but they run anywhere from thirty six thousand the hybrid two thousand twenty three pre uh, premium i think it is is thirty six thousand nine hundred and forty five dollars so that will give you some numbers to work with when you're uh, planning your new electric vehicle. I still think that the uh, uh, the little volt e u v at twenty six twenty well twenty five or twenty six thousand whichever one they decide to charge you when you get to the station or get to the dealership is a pretty good value if you're only driving around you know it says two hundred fifty six miles i'll take that with a grain of salt, maybe in Arizona with flat roads and uh uh, good weather, you can get it, but I, I would say, okay, I get 150, 175 miles a day. Then you just plug it in when you get home. I think that's a pretty good deal. So they're here to stay, and we're just waiting for the infrastructure to get here. Like I've said all along, same thing we had on my diesel. Couldn't buy diesel fuel when I first got the diesel. Had to go to the truck stop to get the diesel. Now you can get it just about any place. So that's it. That's all I got to say on the electric. Jim, you got something you want to add to that? So that um, the uh,
1: the high the high speed chargers those are really interesting. They um, they actually have a cooling line that runs um, with the charging cable. So imagine probably three wires, and then a, a cooling tube that runs in with it. So the way it works is when you plug your charger in the you know, you plug it in, obviously the the, the receptacle plugs in, but there's a, a a a cooling hose that that's integrated into it that plugs right in at the same time so that when the charger's working, the coolant goes through and cools the battery because well they know that they're charging it at such a high rate it's going to get very, very hot. Just like what happens when you turn your you have got your 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 uh, battery charger at home, and you turn on 50 amps and start, and you see your battery start smoking because well, you're just charging the piss out of it. So, um, in normal, in lieu of a two two amp charger where it, you know it just trickle charges it, right? Same thing applies, mm-hmm. folks. They're lithium. I get it. It's still charging a battery. You can only charge them so fast because they generate heat. What they haven't said though is. How the how the coolant goes from your charger into the battery and comes back. Then there there's what's interesting is that normally we would hook a hose together, you know, with you know we would thread it together, right? A water hose we would thread together, or you know maybe you'd have a quick couple like an air hose. We're we're all pretty familiar with that program. This does not have that type of setup. It just sets in there. So I'm just curious to know how much after time, you know, when it doesn't get hooked up right, or how much it's going to leak. Because you know it it's not a perfect seal, so there's mm-hmm. going to be some evolution in the in the uh, cooling hose the cooling charging hose, but they have to cool it because they're trying to charge it so fast that they they will they basically will fry the battery because it's just it's just on fire. Um, it'd be interesting, jerry we should we should go down to a Watson's or Radley's and take a test drive of one of their Chevys and so what we ought to do. That way we can see what it's going like. Well, they're fine. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, and The other thing about um, the electrics, um, we, we run across this, and what's starting to happen a little more frequently, uh, damage to the battery containment. So, like, the Volts got them up under the hood. Um, The Teslas got them under the car. A lot of them have them under the car. Um, and... Frequent, we've we've seen some now that as as cars are more and more prevalent on the road, co- you know collisions are happening. I know mm-hmm. it's crazy. <laughs> cars get wrecked, right? Um, what you have to be really credit, really careful with, and for example, a Tesla doesn't have a spare tire, so you're not changing the tire on a Tesla, folks. You have to take it. You have to take it to the shop to get it fixed. There's no spare tire with the Tesla, so don't think you're gonna <laughs> jack one up and change the tire. Just doesn't happen. I, I don't know how it's gonna play out in the next five years. You know, eventually tires after markets are gonna be available and you're gonna jack it up. But what we've seen is that there's damage to the battery containment systems. So in in the cars what they do is they take the battery and they stick it in this sardine can and they encase it, right? So in a collision or uh, or uh, improper maintenance, they the the battery containment gets compromised, so it gets it gets crushed. So now it shorts the battery mm-hmm. internally. So now the battery the lithium battery inside is shorting. So now you have the potential for a fire. So if you're working on one, you need to know exactly where the jack points are. Um, if you drive well, over then- a Parking block and damage the bottom of the car and the batteries there. You better have it checked.
0: Yep, I agree. Of course, last week we 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 discussed changing the tire and we just we discussed the jack up points on these bodies. So there's reason for it. (laughs) And now the battery technology is moving on into dielectric oil for cooling inside the batteries. One, it works just as well, if not better, but it doesn't transport electricity. So if you have a bad short battery, it doesn't it it doesn't make the circuit because of the dielectric in it. So that is a will that is a big plus as far as I'm concerned. But I understand I've been using dielectric in uh, machining equipment, actually, to make cars and stuff up in Detroit. They've been using that for years, according to my brother, who used to be an engineer with them up there. And he was telling me, I don't see why they haven't started it already. And but they have, they've gotten to it now. So that's that's an improved system. Uh, by the way, while I'm talking, I noticed that General Motors actually has six models available that are electric now. Six models, including the uh, half ton. And, um, so you've got quite a selection to choose from if you want to go to electric cars. You know, uh, I'm sure that the state of Arizona is going to figure out some kind of a, uh, cost to put on the registration for electric car, uh, because of the road you, you travel on the roads. You know, if you're going to drive an electric cars, cool. I've already given you $7,500 to drive the thing. Now, Do you want me to pay for the roads you drive on, too? So they're going to have to come up with something that works that way. And to penalize and put a tax on gas or cars because they don't have the extra funds to repair the roads, I don't think that's quite fair to the people that are still driving the internal combustion engines. But then that's just my own personal thing. And I'll probably get over it as technology gets better and I'll begin to relax a little bit. But I haven't seen it yet. And they used to put a uh, penalty on uh, two hundred and fifty dollars cost on this stuff. I don't know if that's still in effect or not. I haven't bothered to check. But
1: and, they uh, and, and remember, remember Jerry, that the uh, like you talk about the road tax. Um, you know, in in Arizona, like a lot of places, we we pay based on weight. So. Cars and light trucks have a have a base rate, but heavier big trucks pay a heavier uh, uh, a weight tax. So, like my trucks pay a weight tax, sort of right on the road. Well, an electric car weighs more than a gas car, so the road can, tearing up the road is going to happen more frequently with the heavier car, uh, with the heavier electric car, because you're putting more pounds per square inch on the same well. Nearly the same tire surface, so yeah. road wear has come, is going to increase. I know that there's a road engineer, a civil engineer who's looking at that going, hey, folks, our, we're going to have to start redesigning our roads to compensate for the heavier PSI per square inch rating on the road that we haven't taken into account for based on these cars, because there's going to be more of them. You know, I mean, yeah, so... Somebody's going to come up with this and go, oh, by the way, uh, Tesla owner or electric car owner, yeah, we've determined that your car does X much damage to the road per year, and this is your fee. Hi. Thanks. Have a nice day.
0: <laughs> That's right. So, That's right. It's like registering a motor home in the state of Arizona. Boy, I'll tell you, like the registered? first time I re-registered my motor home, I like to fainted. $1,200. So, you know, and I'm going... Wow. Well, it's because of the extra weight of the motorhome and, you know, it's riding down the road. and So they're trying to get us up there with what you 18-wheelers are doing. And if you stop and think about it for about two seconds, you'll realize that, hey, that's, that's not a bad plan. You know, I prefer to ride on roads that will support the weight of the vehicle like anybody else does. And it, it does weigh about 15,000 pounds, so it's, it's different. Um, on the... Uh, uh, dielectric on the fluid and stuff. Uh, Jim and I were talking about dielectric. If you use it when you're replacing tail uh, lights and headlights, and you know just the connections, and it helps keep the moisture and stuff from corroding your terminals. <coughs> Excuse me. And that is something that uh, you might want to consider for the do it yourself or so while you're working on these lights and changing the bulbs out, make sure you use a little bit of dialect on your tail lights, just a just a thin a thin coat. And uh it does work better, it maintains the grounds, it just it works better altogether and it keeps down the corrosion inside. Um, on uh all right, let me get back to where we were at. Du, 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 du. All right. Let's do a little bit of diagnostic stuff now. What what do you need to know for diagnostic or diagnosing your cars? You get there's two couple pieces of equipment out there. One is a code reader. That's what you get when you go into like a a, a Merle's or somebody that's a or a Merle's equivalent. And they come out with a little handheld code reader and they put it on there well that gives you a code okay so will your dash you just pull it on his manual and it'll tell you what the codes are and then you can google it and find out what it means and see if it's something that you want to tackle don't just jump in the middle of them. the biggest fallacy out there is on the o2 sensor okay uh that o2 sensor needs to be professionally diagnosed as a bad O2 sensor, not just because a little light comes on and you say, oh, it's the O2 sensor. There was thousands of O2 sensors. There, in fact, there were so many of them, there was a class action suit. As far as I know, it's still going on on O2 sensors, since the O2 sensors have been on the cars. But some of these vehicles have two, four, six, eight, eight codes on them. Eight O2 sensors. And you need to know not only which ones, but are all of them bad? And so you'll spend a lot of money changing O2 sensors, and then you're driving down the road about 10 miles, and all of a sudden your O2 sensor codes back. So make sure you get it. As Brian Fuller said, don't guess test. Just test it before you go to doing the Columbus method and spend a lot of money on these cars. Um when you when you go into the diagnostics on a car, you got always start with the basics. You go in there's flow charts all over, there are flow charts on um Google or flow charts. We have in our computers down to shop. And there's a reason for a flowchart because most of the time you'll have it like a one through five on the start of a flow chart we skip. We're geniuses. I'm a genius. I don't need that first five. I'll just start with number six and go from there. And then you get on down the tree, and you find out two and a half hours later that, oh, maybe I should go back and start from one and go up to five and see what I find. You'll be surprised how many times you'll find it in that top five codes, the top five diagnostic recommendations. If you'll do that, you'll save yourself a lot of grief. If you want to skip around in a diagnostic chart, have some time that you can spend doing this. You're going to have to have the patience of God, and then you'll, you'll be all right. But uh, if you want to do it right, go to the number one and start it. If you uh, do it yourself or at home, the car won't start, what's the first thing you're going to check? If it don't if it don't click or go click, 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 click when you turn it on, that's normally an indication of a bad battery, or is it? So you go out, and you get a battery, and you put it in there, and you fire it up. Okay, well, it was definitely a battery. Then you find out that, no, it wasn't. It was actually a charging system. What caused the battery to go out? And then you, let's say you have a battery in there. It's been in there for one year. And and it's on a, uh it's a three year battery, and you say, "Wow, this was kind of quick." And so you just discount it as a it's a faulty battery. You take a battery back in, they put their little tester on it, say, "Oh yeah, the battery's dead." So you get a new battery, you put it in, you drive it thirty days, the battery's dead again. You go, "Hey, what's going on here?" And then you take it in to a Parker or a Simmons. Or a automotive specialist shop, and they put the big machines on it and say, oh, well, you've got bad diodes in your alternator. It's only charging part-time. It's not charging enough to keep the battery operating the way it's supposed to. It's not replenishing. That's what you should have done the first time. So when you go do a base, start at the base, is your belt, let's stay with the charging system, is your belt, is your serpentine belt working like it's supposed to around the alternator to keep the battery charging? Inspect your belt. Inspect the pulleys on the belt. Make sure that they're not sliding, that they're not glazed on the inside of the belt, and it has an opportunity to work. If you have a chirp in a belt, when you fire it up and just sit there and sc- call it a squeal, and the belt squeals, and then after it warms up, it goes away. Uh, by the way, while it's, while it's squealing, it's slipping. While it's slipping, it's glazing the inside of the belt. If you do, let's say you, you pull a radiator, upper radiator hose off. Oh, my gosh, i got got time to change the hoses here. I'm just going to pull them off. You pull it off, and here comes the antifreeze out. And it goes down on the belts, on the serpentine belts or V-belts, any of them. And you say, oh, okay, well, you know, so I got a little chirp here. I'll just use a little belt cleaner. No, you can't use belt cleaner on a serpentine belt with any success at all because that antifreeze is going to impregnate that belt, and you're going to think you've got it clean, and then in about, nah, probably about 10 miles, it's going to be back talking to you. You have to change the belts, and same way on a V-belt. If you ever spend, put antifreeze on a belt, I don't care what's on the market that can spray that thing off. Oh, it's like cleaning a brake pad when it's got too much grease on it because your technician had his head in his butt when he's putting it on and got grease on it. And he said, Oh, I'll just use a little brake clean and clean the brake pad off. No, you're not. That stuff is already in the pad. As soon as it heats up, it's going to bring it right back out the surface, and here you go. So you need to have a plan. You can't build a house without having a plan. You can't work on a vehicle without having a plan. And you start from the basics, okay? I hit the key. It's going click, 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 click. That only tells you that it's going click, 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 which means it probably don't have the right amount of juice going down to the starter to engage it. Now you've got to find out why. And there's a the old thing in diagnostics. You ask yourself, Why? Five times during your diagnostics. If you'll ask yourself why when you think you've got something fixed, why? 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 You go five times through that diagnostics in your brain going asking yourself why. Why is it doing this? Why is it not responding? But you still need to go at least five times. And a little secret on that is when you start doing that, you'll catch yourself saying why about 100 times. But when you get done, it'll be fixed. But uh, knowing a little bit about the uh, combustible engines and how they actually work and what they depend on to work, they depend on the antifreeze to keep it clean on the inside, providing you keep the antifreeze clean so it has a chance to clean on the inside. You look at your engine oil, which is the blood of that vehicle. Is it Is it running right? Why is the engine tapping when I first fired up? Why is it clicking now? It didn't used to click. Why is it clicking now? Well, you got 150,000 miles on it. One, you probably got a little wear in it.
1: And maybe
0: you haven't been changing your oil at the regular intervals. Maybe the oil is dirty and it's wearing it out gradually. In other words, it'll still run. But you're wearing it out gradually, and it's all it's doing is doing damage to the engine. You're putting new oil in, it's so, okay, I caught it in time. No, you didn't. That damage hey, is in hey, there. You just change the oil on, it's not going to repair it. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Hey, we got a caller, Tom. He's got a question about idling time. About what? Idling time.
0: All right, let's go to Tom then. Tom, good morning. Welcome to ESPN Simmons Car Care Show.
2: Hi. Good morning. Thanks
0: for taking my call.
2: Yeah, my uh, three point eight GM engine is has a high idle, and I've checked a lot of things externally. I just wanted to see if you might have an idea what it could be. I have checked the throttle position sensor. I checked the idle air control valve and the map sensor, the intake. Yeah, I sprayed carb cleaner around to see if there's a j- different sound and idling, and there isn't. And the code is P zero five zero seven for high idle speed, and it is idling high,
0: high. Okay, what year is this? The so two thousand three. How many miles? A quarter million. Two twenty five. Okay. Uh, GM. How long has this been going on?
1: Oh, it just happened
2: like a week ago. And about three years ago, I replaced the uh, intake plenum, the lower intake manifold gaskets with the updated aluminum ones. So it's just kind of uh, scratching my head here. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Uh, You said you use carburetor spray to see if you got a vacuum leak? Yeah, and and no change in idle. No change on it at all? Right. Okay, did you do a vacuum test on the motor itself?
2: I did it twice. One time I got a high vacuum, but I know it's normally high, like 20 inches. And then... Mm -hmm. It was a little higher than that once, and then I just redid it yesterday, and it seemed normal. Okay. And
0: there was no difference. But it was the, still idling high. Back, still idling high, okay. How about the yeah. idle air control mixture?
2: Yeah, I, I the, actually did idle air little going now, into the carburetor. Yeah, going into the throttle uh, body. I, I actually extended that to shut off that to uh-huh. see if it was not uh-huh. cutting all the way. And I manually shut it and screwed it back in, extended the pencil out. Mm-hmm. That didn't did help, didn't change anything, so I don't it.
0: Okay. Uh, when you pulled the top off your uh, fuel delivery system, your your uh, throttle body, did you notice any debris inside? No, it's
2: pretty clean because, like, I, when I did the intake manifold, our lower intake manifold gaskets. You know, I cleaned all the throttle body up. I cleaned the the passageways for the air that it, it goes into the cylinder head.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I don't think there's any carbon buildup.
0: Did you do a you know, fuel pump pressure plate. test? Say that again. Have you have you done a fuel pump pressure test?
2: Yeah. <laughs> so. Last year, I replaced the fuel pump because it seemed like the check valve was not holding. So it's got a new mm-hmm. uh, Delphi fuel pump and fuel filter, new fuel, mm-hmm. d- a new uh, fuel regulator
0: by uh, AC Delco.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so the fuel pump pressure now is correct. You have checked it within the last two weeks.
2: No, but I mean it starts right up. I don't have to put my foot on the the accelerator. Yeah, it's maintaining. It doesn't. It doesn't doesn't cough when I'm driving, or doesn't hesitate. Just a high idle.
0: Yep. And when you, you, is it a drive by wire, or do you have linkage on that one? Linkage. Yeah, I checked the linkage. It doesn't seem to be binding. I looked at the throttle
2: plate. It looks like it's almost closed when everything's off. Okay. And
0: and it's wired. I would take a look at the fuel pressure and make sure that fuel pressure is still within the parameters. That will make sure that your fuel control solenoid is working like it's supposed to. I mean, just because, I mean, we see so many failed parts premature. We're just a little gun shy when, okay, you put one on, and I understand it's just like me and the rest of them. They, you put this right. part on. It's supposed to be a good one. It used to be a good one. It should be working fine. And then you verify it, and then you got way too much pressure going to the carburetor. It don't. I mean, to the uh, uh, fuel injection system, and it don't work right. Have you had the fuel injection system cleaned? Have you had a motorvac done on that thing?
2: Well, when I replaced the the gaskets on the plenum, and the, actually I put a new mm. plenum on and a lower intake gasket. I had the fuel injection
0: right. cleaned, all right, you had the fuel injections cleaned at the time,
2: yeah, I sent them away, okay, and so you, they, they back you know, they showed me the test before and after, and they were like brand new when they came okay. back. I just wondering maybe it could be a, like an internal crack somewhere like in the
0: plastic plenum. It's just that's really nice talking about did you do a uh vacuum test on the engine recently? you know since you've had this problem, yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, the first time it got I, really I, I, high, so thought maybe the, you'd, did, come across this.
1: Did, did you
2: check ahead, your uh, vacuum
1: booster? Did you check your vacuum booster?
2: Yeah, the brake booster. Yeah. Yeah, it's got good vacuum to it, and the brake seems yeah. pedal seems fine.
1: Okay, because sometimes they'll leak internally, and that you won't detect it with carb cleaner. Um. maybe yeah. a, It sounds. It sounds like vacuum leak. Could, by what Jerry's saying, maybe uh take a take a either take the lines off the vacuum lines off and physically cap off the manifold. That way you can isolate any other there any other areas that might be leaking from like a from the vacuum uh, reservoir, the vacuum bottle, or something like that. That would
0: be my okay. suggestion. Hey, thanks. I would definitely I would definitely go in with a vacuum gauge and put it on the engine, and let it get up to operating temperature and see what you've got with the gauge intact, and let it see. Because normally if it gets hot, those intakes, you know and I know, they did leak. And we can fix them one time, but if you miss a torque specification on some of them, then they'll start leaking again prematurely. And, yeah. you know, it just it, it just depends on how clean it went back together, if you've got anything under a gasket or anything like that, or a split gasket when you're putting it back on. And then over a period of time, that one little piece that was hanging on decided to give up the ghost. Stay with right. your basics on this. You've done covered all the high-tech stuff. But um, yeah. the mass airflow air sensor coming in from the front of the engine, uh, make sure that that's clean. Uh, I right. think that vehicle has one. And um, yeah. if you, it does, okay. It's got a little, probably has a little piano wire in it, we call it. And if that piano yeah. wire gets anything on it, it changes the airflow, the air mixture to the engine itself. And when it goes right. down, when the airflow goes down, the supply of fuel to the system goes up. And that'll give you a high idle, too. So, you know, oh, okay. i check that, blow its nose, as my brother says, just blow its nose and uh, <laughs> make sure that that is clean. They do make the uh, cleaner for that little piano wire. You can buy it at a parts house. Yeah. And you can go in and right clean on. it off, and then you make sure you let it dry before you put it on. Okay? Got it. you got yeah. to give it a yeah, little right. opportunity to dry down. Yeah,
2: I think CRC makes a so, cleaner I've used before. Try that too.
0: Okay. Hey, yeah. thanks a
2: lot, you guys. And good luck with this.
0: Appreciate the call, Tom. Thank you. You got anything else you want to tell him about?
1: Oh, I mean, the, it sounds. I think you got it covered. Uh, check the PVC. I think that that those Chevys had a PVC on them. Sometimes they break. You're, it, it's, it's a basic thing. You, you got it right on the head there, Jerry. It's a basic thing. It's he, he's got the idle air control working, unless there's unless there's like you said carbon built up underneath it. But he said there wasn't. Sounds like it's just a it's a it's a little something something just gave way, and it's
0: now it's just well it, the it air, to, air control going in. If that little piano wire is car is uh, coked up with junk. oil. Uh, throw it then it'll he, give them a problem. Yeah. And it don't yeah. take much to create a high idle. It just tells you no. that, oh, either that or we've got too much air in there and I need to give it more fuel, which resets Correct. a high idle reading and stuff. So right. it's going to be simple. He just, you know, he's done all the hard stuff, but hopefully he he got a couple of ideas now. But I don't uh, – vacuum is is a little issue. But it affects other things, too, you know, like the brake booster. Uh, and you're right, brake booster can leak internally, too. And, um, and,
1: they're, and they're
0: hard
1: to, check with, <laughs> they're hard to think, check with carb cleaner. They're hard to
0: check with carb cleaner. By the way, if you're getting carb cleaner, make sure if you're going to use carb cleaner, it's mostly a non-flammable. But I've seen people we used to use brake cleaner all the time because they didn't have the carb cleaner that was non-flammable. And, um, but... We use brake clean, but there is two brake cleaners. There's one is flammable, and there's one it's not flammable. Trust me on this one. You want the one that's not flammable if you're working on that car. Okay, you'll be another Jay Leno. But his his ah. is a gas spill. Uh, oh, but use the non flammable liquids, if you're on the car because when you're checking these things you can't you can spray it all day long, but if the engine's not running it'll have zero effect. so the engine's going to be running is your spark plugs one hundred percent assume they're not, and use the non-flammable brake clean, and you can get away with that, or the carburetor clean. look on the bottle it's say flammable or non-flammable if it's non flammable you're good to go. If it says flammable, don't even buy it. Just don't even have it around the house. Then you won't be tempted to use it when you run across. Oh, I need to check this thing for a vacuum leak, and you grab a hold of that stuff that's flammable, and then you have a single spark come off the engine. That's nasty. So.
1: And 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 make sure you have a fire extinguisher in <coughs> hand
0: because
1: you're going to Always. need it. <laughs> <laughs> And, and you
0: know it, they, it's the
1: they, things a little little it, little a, a little tiny spark will ignite a huge fire and 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 if you're yeah. not prepared for it you have a serious problem on your hands
0: so yeah, yeah I, it's, I, it's, I it's use really a crystal. halon we use a halon and that that takes the oxygen out and it stops it and if, you're, if you've are if you got an engine fire or something like that, you want a halon on it, halon, or you can use the white powder. It'll work. It'll work, but it sure does mess up a lot of stuff. And air conditioning compressors. If you have a leak on the back of your air conditioning compressor, if you ever read the, about the air conditioning stuff that we inject in these because that's what you have to have, uh, they're highly flammable. I remember Cadillac come in that had a leak on the back of the AC compressor, and I think it burned everything up but the AC compressor. And it was because it had a leak on the back of it, and it went down and it ignited because I guess she had a bad plug wire or something that, that sparked out, or I don't even remember. All I know is a mess. But anything at any liquid that goes into a car, they got different flash points. You know, the reason I like using a synthetic, it has a higher flash point. In other words, it's like 200 and 300 degrees, something like that. And the regular uh, motor oil is down around 150, 160. But anyway, it'll take off quicker than the synthetic oil. So when you have an oil leak and it goes down on the catalytic converter, that can burn up to 550 degrees. Uh, you won't light it up as quick. And hopefully you find it before you get to that stage anyway. But yeah, it's, it's it's tricky. Working on cars can be dangerous if you don't pay attention. Have a plan. Get to the start at the base. Start at the base and say, okay, why don't I have juice going down the battery? Is it the ignition switch? Oh possible. But you've got to have some way to measure it. You got to some way to measure what's coming out. If you jump a car, and all of us do, and you can jump, you can even jump these other electric cars and stuff. And you can jump it, but you need to know why it quit in the first place. As Brian says, test first. Don't guess. Test first. If you don't know what you're doing, call Frontier Tow and have that darn thing picked up and delivered to your favorite garage. It's better than getting hurt, you know, and I've always said at a, the full price of a car is not worth a broken fingernail on a hand that's working on it. And, I mean, that is, that is saying it. You know, remember, we're the guys that uh, if you've got real long hair and you want to work on cars like was re- really fashionable here a few years ago, guess what a hairnet's for? We had technician working with hairnets on 'Cause you weren't allowed under the car. With that motor running, you weren't even allowed under the hood without a hairnet on. Because they can get you in trouble, same way with a machine shop. So if you're working with long hair, get you a rubber band, put that hair up and a ponytail behind you, and make sure it don't don't flop down on the inside while you're hovering over the engine with it with it running. <laughs> so uh, it's that's not done. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, it,
1: it happens. It, it, it happens. It, it it happens. It's you know. It's I I make light of it, but you know, it's not funny when it happens to you. I've seen it happen. <laughs> it's not funny when it happens to you. So uh, well, I was going to chime I in on your on your. <laughs> yeah, I was going to chime in on your on your battery replacement, Jerry. We told him every single day, the I I my car won't start. I just changed the battery, and the car won't start. Well, what does that mean? That means the battery that you just took out was good, and either you have a bad cable or a bad starter or something else was wrong because the battery you took out wouldn't didn't start the car, and now the new battery won't start the car um, right so you know before you throw away two hundred dollars on a battery not not a hundred, not a hundred and fifty two hundred dollars. Oh, a Mercedes that's battery right. that sits in the back of the car is three hundred and fifty dollars. That's real money. Mm-hmm. That's you know, not that's not a fifty dollar battery anymore. They're expensive. Um,
0: yeah. Well, do a simple... if you, if, uh, let's look at the additional costs you have. Let's look at the additional cost that goes with a dead, no-start car. One, I've got to call Frontier Towing. So I'm going to call Frontier Towing. They're going to pick it up. That's a tow bill. And I've heard people tell me, oh, I have towing insurance from AAA or towing insurance from farmers or or, or State Farm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And then they're going to pick that car up, and they're going to tow it somewhere to have it repaired. Do you have a rental car? Do you have a backup car that you're going to go with? How much time? You were headed to an appointment. You were headed to an appointment. Are you going to make your appointment? There is a lot of stuff to go with car breakage. And as uh, Parker Automotive over on 5101 East Speedway would tell you, do a little bit of maintenance all time. And that don't mean just go out and start blowing money on stuff you don't have to blow it on. Just do a little bit of preventive maintenance a little bit at a time, and then it won't knock you on your butt, your billfold, when you, you do have a breakage. It'll be something that's less because they're not going to have to bring everything else up to standard before they can even diagnose what you've got going on with it. Same thing over at Automotive Specialist Brian's place over there, oh, the phone number at Parker Automotive is uh, area code five twenty three two three nineteen sixty. 1960 and then you, okay, you're on the west side. You're going to Brian Fuller's Place, Automotive Specialist, 3611 West Iona Road, Suite 101, Meredith and Ida, Bookman's Plaza. Phone number 520 572 1734, Brian's Place. Brian cell 520 237 3852. So, you know, uh, but when you uh, write all those numbers down, like Frontier Towing, 748-1100, but write these numbers down and when you need it and you need professional attention on these vehicles, don't be afraid to get it. And the biggest thing about car repair is everybody assumes it's expensive. I'm going to be the first guy in the house to tell you they are. They're going to be more expensive if you don't maintain them. So, God bless you. Just have it maintained. Follow your recommendations. Remember, uh, severe duty. All of that one, you'll be good to go in the state of Arizona. All right, we're out of time, Jim. We're out of time.
1: Jerry, always a pleasure. Everybody, it's New Year's Eve.